0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is on. Competition
1: is on. Competition 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 Competition is, is on. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. Today, I have with me a very special guest, someone who's joining us for the first time. She is the host of Lisa Ann Does Fantasy Football, which airs on Mondays from 10 p.m. to midnight, and Fantasy Friday nights on Sirius XM Fantasy, along with her podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience, numerous other radio, television appearances. She also published her first book this year, The Life, uh, Plan, Palin, My Love of Sports, and Living to the Fullest on My Own Terms. And she's a Hall of Famer in the adult entertainment industry. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the one and only Lisa Ann.
0: Thank you so much for having me today. And let me just correct one or two things. Okay. I published the book in 2015 and I dragged my feet on recording the, audiobook. Sorry, the audio book. And when quarantine happened, I live on my own. I had just moved in 2019, December from LA to New York city. So I'm now living in a city where everyone's left and gone to their other home, which I don't have. And I realized I needed to make a list of tasks that would keep me busy Monday through Friday, and I would have to get up be on this like routine. And so I had a friend of mine show me how to turn my bedroom closet into a soundproofed room to make it an audiobook. And I recorded the whole thing myself, worked with my editor who's out in California, went back and forth with the chapters, and was able to release my audiobook this year. So it's like a revitalization. Of the book from 2015, because not only did I get to reread and re-listen, I then added in two bonus commentary chapters because it's amazing how five years can change your mindset and how I look back at some of the stories that I told and what what fun I had. And I think probably the world stopping on all of us gave us some time to maybe go through photos or go through things that we've done and realize. How many awesome experiences we've had, and maybe be a little bit more gracious towards them. And I think rereading my book, especially getting to the chapter about playing Sarah Palin, um, I traveled the world, you know, playing Sarah Palin. I've always loved to travel, so when I'm getting to go to another country, you know, on someone else's dime, and I stay there <laughs> a couple extra days once I've made friends and like wander around, I just felt this really warm sense of gratitude. Like, wow, you know, what a random path that i took that most people probably will never really be able to fully understand I me mean, my friends understand me but not many people can understand the actual art of having sex on camera and they also can't define where that puts you in society you know so many porn stars you know it's 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 still very much the word porn is a trigger and whatever emotions it triggers in you is kind of the emotion I get back towards me, and it took me till my mid forties to understand it's not really about me. It's about how others are processing the information. And yes, we can kind of shock people because, as you might hear on my podcast, Lisa Ann Experience, I'm starting to have more conversations mm-hmm. with entertainers from inside the business, and and really shining a light on, you know, the extraordinary things they do, offset and what their lives are like. And it's been really cool to hear my own friends reach back and go. It's amazing how well-spoken, how thought out these men and women are about their savings and how they're looking at their career and setting up their futures. And it's giving people a perspective that I always had, but nobody understood it. Looking me like, how could you do this for a living? Well, I'll tell you, I was out of my own young, didn't have the ideal childhood, um, and. I made a very simple list for myself when I was 16 and I always had one of those planners, you know, where you write everything mm-hmm. and, and then you take the addresses and you write them in the next years and everyone's birthdays. So you never forget anybody. This was before Facebook, you know what I'm saying? This was before you could just get a reminder every day. First thing in the morning, check Facebook, see if it's someone's birthday. Do I know them well yeah, enough to yeah, text them millic- fields, yeah. Say, yeah, yeah. or do I just send them a message on Facebook? Cause it reminded me. Um, and I wrote the three things I wanted were to be financially independent to travel and see the world, and to make my own schedule.
1: And you've done that. Yeah.
0: You've done that. And there really were a lot of other gigs out there that could do this, right? You know, it could fill those three. And it was really that simple. And I retell that story because that was the same plan I've always had. Now, Later in life, when I sat with a therapist, and went through my three things, it, it, it opened a lot of questions. Well, why wasn't having children or being married or any of these other things? Like other people are like, I want to own a home. I want to get married. I want 2.3 kids. And I'm like, probably because I was looking at a childhood and I was looking at a way to be out. And how could I do this on my own, but still experience a full life? And at a young age, I didn't know what all of that meant. But later I learned a lot about it. And I'm glad that I stuck to those goals because they didn't allowed me to get sucked into materialism. You know, I wasn't really out buying, you know, Louboutins or other things. I was just like, okay, if I have free money, I'm going to travel. I'm going to take a trip to Alaska and I'm going to go dog sledding and I'm going to do this. And so the adult business allowed me also a lot of time to follow sports. And when I was first out on the road, you know, we didn't have the internet. And when you went into a hotel, quite often they had like eight channels. Remember that? <laughs> You're, you remember that? The
1: little slot, ac- slider okay. across the top. Eight and it- channels.
0: You usually had a local news channel. And this was before every hotel even yeah. had like fox and cnn like they it was
1: serious a- that it had hbo had like Sports that was an advertisement
0: oh yeah and if you ever read the espn book which is a great read yes, I have. they talked about the fact that when they started going by hotels and the hotel marquee said we have espn that was when they realized like oh this business plan might work because when espn was first a concept people said who wants to listen to sports news 24 hours a day? Well, I did. And when I was on the road, you know, you only got SportsCenter back then. There weren't yes. all these other subsidiaries. Oh, there really were all these-
1: bad games from all over the world yeah. at 2 in the morning. <laughs>
0: Yes, but you had SportsCenter. So if you listened to it for multiple hours, you memorized what was coming up. You know what I'm saying? You knew the big play and you knew how the announcer was going to say it, but you still loved it. And that and the newspaper. When I was on the road, I'd get the newspaper, I'd go to the sports page. And so when I traveled, I started to really make a plan to see as many stadiums and arenas as I could, because why not? I'm going to be in this city. I might never go back to Cleveland. Like, who knows? I want to go. And that really opened me up to being able to make incredible conversations with guys that I would meet at strip clubs about their team. And it became this thing with me where guys knew it and they would come up, they're like, you know, if I want to talk to her for a while, we're going to to talk sports. And we talked sports and me getting to know their local team and going to their ballpark that's a compliment to a local. You want to see how they're living and what their park is like, and you want to celebrate their park in each city. You know, if you pull into cities where there's like awesome, like in Baltimore, Mm pull in Camden Yards is right there. Pittsburgh PNC is right there. You know, like there's certain, there's just this energy you get from all of that. So one thing really parlayed into the other And sports kept me on track when I was on the road dancing because athletes really inspire me to learn more about fitness and my diet and how they're living. Like, how are you dealing with this grueling travel schedule and always staying healthy, you know, not catching a little bug here and there, keeping your muscles good. And so, instead of going one way and potentially drinking and partying in these clubs, which I never did, I was always mapping out all the things I wanted to do and see during the day, including a game or a park tour or what have you. And studying the box scores kept me kind of learning every single team through the U S and I'd go to my next gig and I know what was going on. And it just parlayed into this beautiful, like, Hmm, I have very fluid conversations about sports, which then of course parlayed into people saying like, you need to be talking sports one day. You love doing this. And here I am.
1: Yeah, I was kind of on that, uh, like sports was my thing all growing up. Um, You know, I was the kind of kid who kept stats on my Atari games when I played Atari football and Super Nintendo as they came up. I kept the stats. Yeah. Like the records from my team and my dad's team and my brother's team, you know, and I always tried to beat myself. I, I'm the kind of kid who did, I did audio commentary while I was playing.
0: That's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. All of that.
1: And I, you know, but I never thought at the time that that would ever be a viable career for me. You know, you just, you didn't grow up in an environment where people told you that was something you could do. My dad worked in, you know, my parents made the compromises that you make, in the 1960s and 70s as, as black parents at the time, you take stability and you don't really chase after certain things.
0: No, you, so, nothing risky, no.
1: So I went to college and my freshman year, I told my mom, I said, I'm gonna major in business. And she's like, I don't know if that's for you. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna major in business. She's the kind of person who never told me specifically what to do in life. Okay. She, 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 you know, she wanted me to be happy. So she let me go out there and fail at it. I took accounting, I got my D. And I said, maybe business school is not for me. And I found myself my junior year doing um, television sports on our, our campus TV station. And uh, from there, it was how did just, she
0: feel about that? When you told her you were going to start doing that, did she think that was more your she personality? Said, that's it.
1: She said, <gasps> that's it, son.
0: She said, you, and by the way, bless you your it. parents heart. Um, you got the opportunity to go to college. You know, that wasn't something that was ever in the cards for me. So for you, they worked very hard to make sure you had all the opportunities to do whatever you may want to do. And you, you for the first year, you sweated it out and she let you sweat it out because Mm -hmm. it was never going to work. You Can't force yourself to do something because it's safe. You have to do something that brings you passion, that brings you joy. And so luckily you had the opportunity to go for a second swing and decide, I'm going to see how this plays out.
1: And so yeah, it was it was a natural fit. I got to run my mouth. I got to talk about sports, and you know, the first job that I got um, was in a very small town. See, I had, I had to do it the old school way in working in like this ridiculously small town here in Louisiana, shooting on a super VHS camera.
0: And <laughs> I think so heavy. They were so heavy, man.
1: <laughs> and they are they get you know they have terrible quality. They yeah. are impossible to edit.
0: You, know, you can just, lose everything at any time. At any time, something can jam up.
1: It's just awful. And people have no idea what it's like to no. be a one-man band shooting on Super V. And you yeah. can't buy a Super V tape. You have to have them. If you don't have them, they were just out. And, and so yeah, that would happen to me occasionally. You'd go into your, your bag and you pull out a Super V tape and it was full. I couldn't use it. Right. And I'm like, I have nothing now. I have to yeah. go shoot all a regular VHS and convert it. But that's such crap. But my first real gig was in Springfield, Massachusetts, which oh, is where I've the Basketball Hall of Fame is.
0: Yes, yes, I've been to Springfield. Wow, what a pretty little city. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: and so the first year I was there, um, Isaiah Thomas and Pat Summit went into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And that was just, you know, those are two of my favorite figures in basketball. Um, being born in Detroit. And you did know, you get season. to cover it? Yeah. So that. So I, did
0: you feel that, like... I am in the right place at the right time. This is what I need to be doing.
1: The the official day that I said, okay, I can really do this, that I'm not a poser. You know, like you you can copy people and mimic them and get the rhythms down. And I'm good at that. I can play that part. But the day that I figured out that I could do it on my own is Dr. J came. To oh,
0: spring what field.
1: a nice man. One what the, a nice just, man. You know, just... You see it, you see regality when, when he's walking. And um, he was in you know, in town, he went to UMass, of course, and he was um, signing some autographs at the Basketball Hall of Fame. And then it gave us 10 minutes alone with Doc. Every, each reporter got their 10 minutes with Doc. I did my 10 minutes, he gets up, he walks over to me, he puts his hand on my shoulder, I'll never forget it. And he says, great job, young man. And I ran to the car, I get on the phone, I call my dad in in new orleans i'm in mess i'm like dr j said i was good and he said he liked me and i'm I'm, you know i'm 25 years old at the time and i turned into a 13 year old for that you know that one moment because dr j didn't have to do that
0: and that's the thing with good humans right he's a father and if you've read his book you know he lost his son which was tragic Um, and he knows to continue to inspire the greatest gift we have in this world is not to make money and it's not to live a better life than somebody else. It's to inspire. And so he knows taking that 30 seconds and that gesture was going to help you along your way. And like, that is just powerful movie. I read his book cover to cover, uh, Mm -hmm. because I grew up in Easton, Pennsylvania. My very first professional basketball game was in 1983 at the spectrum that was also the year that the Sixers won it all. By the way, I thought they were going to be good for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Kind of plummeted down after that. You know, your first year following a team, you go to the championship, you think this long schedule is normal, and then you realize, oh no, we're not that great anymore. But, you know, and it just, my love for basketball is my first love. Basketball was the first sport I completely fell in love with, and I I will always say basketball is my first love. There's just something about the sneakers squeaking, uh, the, 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 the timing, you know, the cadence, the ability to do tricky things, you know, trick shot players. Like that's why I can't pick a team at this point. I play fantasy basketball and I just have players that I love watching. So I don't care who they're playing. I just got to watch them play And that's just, you know, when you watch that naturally, you stop feeling like you have to mimic other people because you have enough material in your head. I know you're probably like me when you watch games, you put Mm -hmm. notes in your phone or you write notes down, but there'll be something that happened that I just don't want to not touch on. And I know if I watch another game right after, I might forget. So I want to go back to this and it constantly keeps your your thoughts flowing. And also you're probably like me in the sense that you love a good broadcaster, right? So like there's certain, I don't dislike any broadcasters, but there's some broadcasters that just, their ability to just be the best wordsmith that they can be and bring such life that I like to listen and take a walk. Or when I was living in LA, it would be sitting in traffic. I love a good game, not watching. I like listening. And a good radio broadcaster can make you feel everything you would feel if you weren't there, right? But you're there. They transport you into that game. So it's just, that's powerful to hear. I love that Dr. J did that. And it's just a great reminder to stop thank people, tell people they're doing a good job. You know, share a moment. It's just a moment.
1: And I I had that with a lot of athletes. I don't have a ton of autographs because there was something I read in a Bill Russell autobiography a long time ago. And Bill Russell said he didn't sign autographs. You know, his teammates would come up to him and say, you know, Bill, I'm doing this thing. Could you sign a ball for me? I want to, you know, sell it or whatever. And he's like, I don't do that. I don't sign autographs. And people thought he was a jerk. And, he said the reason that he didn't was because he would rather give someone an experience that you need to meet me and know me in some way. And you'll take that away. But if you just have my signature, I'm still just the guy you saw on TV. And that to me was, you know, so when I meet athletes, that is always the thing that I keep in mind is they are people first. And you talked about that when you were talking about performers in the adult industry is that there are these assumptions that people make you are not they it's easy to strip away humanity and focus sure. on the physical and sure. only treat you as your physical frame and what it can do for them so there's a lot of commonality between your previous industry and what you're working and around at, uh, now and and actually what you've been around for decades because you've had relationships friendships with athletes you understand the business of this as well
0: i do and i also understand how it feels to have people coming at you that way You know, it's one of the things, one of my biggest pet peeves in sports broadcasts and radio is people talking about how much money athletes make, right? Whoa, this guy should just do it. Like when baseball was trying to figure out, they couldn't do a bubble. You know, nobody's as brilliant as Adam Silver. We all know this, right? Couldn't do a bubble. And he just started to hear people. And I didn't like the way it was being pinned between, is it the owners who, by the way, if they had the players that the the money the players made, they would jump off a building. They have so much more money, okay? But because we don't get their salaries pronounced every year, the player takes the blame. And so I try to explain to people between luxury tax, between the amount of years they can play and the amount of years they're hoping to live. These people are trying to set up a savings plan for them to live to 95, their wife to live to 95, their kids to have everything they want. And maybe their career is between three and five years in football, maybe five and 10 years in baseball. Let's face it. Some careers like Tom Brady's will last a long time, but he's in the one percentage of, of athletes that will last that long. So you see that and you understand that's another thing. So when it comes to autographs, I think a lot of athletes do feel like people are always just taking from me. And if I do this autograph, then everybody's going to want one. And if I do this one, somebody could just scan it in and sell it and scam me you're smart to just say, no, I'm not doing it at all. At that era, you could get away with that. Now you can't. Now everybody, you know, you've got to do so much for so many people, but yeah, you have to look at the human in every aspect, even any sort of celebrity, but athletes, it is amazing how different it is from the Dr. J era. I mean, when Dr. J lost his son, you know, I barely remember that story, making the news. And I grew up in that immediate area. In Orlando, outside that- of Orlando? no oh
1: when he died his son died in Orlando okay but but he
0: was playing for the Sixers it still would have been in the news in Philadelphia because he was such a prominent role but back (laughs) then athletes were able to keep their personal lives private you know we respected them in a sense that if this is not something he wants to talk about we don't talk to him about it I feel like there's so much pressure for them now I admire all of the athletes that aren't on social media because I'm like good for you you don't like quiet Leonard he's like I play basketball. This is what I want to be good at. This is what, and that takes a lot of time being good at it. And then also you still want to have family and friends and alone time. If you add in that six hours a day, responding to everybody on social media, what do you, what are you cutting out? You know, your time or your time for love and affection from your family and friends? Like, there's just so much thrown at athletes now. And I look back at the you know the, the golden era when these guys didn't have to worry about cell phones. They actually could go out to a bar after the game. I mean, I know you love The Last Dance. And I think one of my favorite things about it was how quickly they would crack open beers after a game. And the reporters would come in and they'd be drinking a beer, which would be so frowned upon now. Like here we've come, our world has advanced in so many awesome ways, but yet an NBA player, sipping a can of beer would be, oh my gosh, we can't do this because of our our advertisers or whatever. I loved how lax they were. They didn't have to worry about photos from a phone. So just crack open a beer. And to think that during the game, they were thinking about having a beer, humanized them so much to me. Cause I can remember like, you know, if you have a yard, you're out cutting your grass on a Saturday afternoon, you you think about that beer, right? right? And that's what they were thinking about in the court. We've changed a lot with the amount of access there is. And also we live in a society where people don't feel bad saying something mean. I mean, I look at players posting cool stuff on, on like Instagram before a game and you read through the comments, it's just hundreds of people like cutting up what they're wearing or how they look or their style of play. And I'm like, you should be happy. They're sharing something from behind the scenes with you. I love it. I think this is great, but there's that lack of understanding because we didn't grow up with it. So to see a behind the scenes, a bunch of guys like doing shoot around on Instagram, awesome to us, but to young people, it's like, well, let me cut this up.
1: But and, and you have as much experience as anybody in dealing with that too. I mean, I've, I've seen you on IG live and you're focused on sports and you've dealt with this plenty, but yeah. the comments and you watch them and they pop up and there's enough and it's clear that you have, it, it, and at this point, you have reflex answers. Yeah,
0: Because it's, yeah. it's,
1: it's there's no new thing under the sun for you.
0: But I do turn off my comments on Instagram, and when I'm when I put a post, because here's what I found would happen: I would spend time every day going through and deleting things that were nasty. Because you know what, nasty comments upset the people who don't want to see that. And then they get into a little barb. And I would get busy and 12 hours would go by and I'd look and there's all this. So I just decided to turn them off. I think it's toxic to read negative things. I'll still interact on Facebook or Twitter, but it just left me one less task. And every year in December, I do a flow chart. You said you kept stats, right? So I do a flow chart of everything I do every day in December work-wise and how many hours it takes me, you know, everything. And then I, I put it together. together and I look at it and I look at the pie and I'm like, okay, what else could I be doing with that time? I was spending between eight and 12 hours a week deleting comments from Instagram. And I was like, you know what? I'd rather spend that doing so many other things. I mean, I could be working harder on the charities that I work with. I could be spending more time on Facebook, uh, on uh, FaceTime with my friends. Like I can stay longer on a trip to visit my friends. Like I just do the math and I'm like, doesn't make sense. And we have to focus on Work is great, but what are you doing in your personal life to stay connected to the people that make you feel warm and fuzzy is way more important.
1: Absolutely. Um, I want to go back to Easton, PA, because okay. it is a hotbed
0: of, of, athletes.
1: Of, of athletes and just talent in general. Yeah, yeah. Besides you, who would you say? is the most famous person out of Easton
0: okay so when I was a kid you know Larry Holmes was everything and this is how much we love the Easton assassin when Larry would be coming home from the airport everybody in Easton would go to Northampton Street and just stand and wave to his limo going by I mean that's what you did in the late 70s early 80s and everybody would know he was coming back from a fight and we'd line up, and everybody would just wave. And we worshipped Larry Holmes. Um, you know, it was just a, such a big deal from such a small town. I think Jenny Jones is also from Easton. Who else is also? The I just Rock
1: is from that area.
0: That area. Right, a little bit further, yeah. a little bit over towards Bethlehem from me. But, yeah, yeah, it was definitely Larry Holmes. But it was a great – you know, the Northeast is big in sports. You know, we are sports people. I think when you live somewhere – California is different because the weather is so nice all year. But when you live in a place that has six months winter, you want sports because you want to be inside watching TV nonstop. And growing up, we had this weird thing. My mom would only let us watch an hour of TV a day, unless it was sports. So we could watch 10 hours a day of sports, but only one hour a day of other stuff. And my brother and I would have to split the hours. So we'd have to agree, you know, on something we're going to watch. She just didn't want us melting our mind. But She loved the competitive nature of sports. She wanted us to play sports. I equate a lot of my balance in life to following sports and knowing what it takes to be good at sports and planning your life around games.
1: And you were a basketball player in high school. Your mom was a basketball mom. Mm -hmm. All right. I got to ask you, because I was a forward, um, you know, what position did you play? And could Uh, could you legit ball?
0: I can legit ball. And I went back and forth, believe it or not, between like forward and center. My Italian, okay, my entire hometown growing up was Italian, Lebanese, and Greek. So none of us were tall. <laughs> none of us were tall. I'm five, two. None, but none of us were tall. And I'll tell you this, when we would play the girls in Jersey who were like tall white girls, like we were like, these are some corn fed white girls, right? They're gonna kill us. They, we, we looked like we were five years younger than them. They would to walk all over. They could just take the ball from us. I mean, you shoot a ball, you know the girl's just gonna catch it basketball as a kid was so much fun and, and, you know, women's basketball wasn't as big of a thing. It wasn't available in every single school. I was really lucky to have that. I also played track. I ran track. Um, so I play a little softball, we had a powder puff football league, but it only lasted one year because the school came back to us and said the insurance denied them how? because we were so violent. It was a flag football team, but never were your flags off of you, but always was every girl down on the ground. Like we would just knock each other over. And so they decided, no, no more powder puff football.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Because you're probably less likely to get a concussion doing powder puff than you are playing with a helmet it's mean,
0: true, but because they didn't give us helmets, we were just knocking each other around. You were just aggressive young girls, you know what I mean? Just out there running on a field, you know, but sports have been my fiber. So this opportunity to work with fantasy sports radio, and I just got a schedule change. So now I'm doing mornings, which is kind of great because I love to go to bed early. Um, but sometimes I do have to record games and then watch them at like four yes. o'clock in the morning. Don't tell anybody. And it sucks. Cause you can't look at Twitter. You can't look at your computer cause you'll know the score. You don't want to know the score yet, but I was doing a show on Playboy radio for quite a few years, which was also on Sirius XM. And I was always talking sports with my callers and the show was on Monday nights, So when there was football callers would call in and give me updates on the games. And so this didn't play out well. My producer (coughs) didn't love this. And I got written up a couple times. And eventually he's like, hey, listen, my friend Matt Deutsch in New York City had a fantasy football show that was all women. It was all Playboy Playmates. and The show just broke up. I'm thinking that he's still interested in doing something. Why don't you go and talk to him? And so I met with Matt, my now boss, uh, in July of 2013. And I didn't know fantasy. But like... I have a lot of friends that play fantasy, and I couldn't imagine it would be that difficult, right? I knew sports, so and not many people could cover basketball as well, you know, because it's much tougher fantasy. So I just spent the summer with my friends who played, showing me different platforms, how to draft. I read every book on fantasy. I listened. It's so easy now, podcasts and information. Plus the channel that I work for is 24 hour fantasy fantasy sports. So like I literally have my earbuds in eight hours a day and I'm just listening to sports sports news, sports news, sports news, writing notes, writing notes. And so I just studied it and started and I absolutely love it. I love how passionate everybody is within the channel about, you know, fantasy sports and, and just how excited they were to bring me on. Everybody was so welcoming. Uh, Nobody was ever inappropriate. Everyone had my back from day one. Everyone gave me access to their websites where I could get more information and learn more things. And I I just met a great group of people that really pulled me along and helped me become successful.
1: And this is a different space for women in general, even though women, and I've, been seeing this for years and saying it for years, women are as rabid as anybody as sports fans. And now you've seen this huge surge since you started, um, not just by you, not led right. individually by you, but there's been this huge surge of women who are getting involved in fantasy sports, creating their own podcasts, um, getting into the, the, the realm. And and you see what women now make up more than 35%, I think of all fantasy football players at this point, team managers you but here's the thing that i enjoy you don't and there are places that cater and i'm glad that they are but you don't do fantasy sports for women you do fantasy sports right and people have to take it as is you are not catering you're the only people you are catering to are fantasy football Fans in this.
0: And fantasy football fans are very finicky. Yes, they are. I know this because I'm a fantasy football fan. We don't want a lot of small talk. And this can't be about Lisa Ann. They want their injuries. They want their updates. They want to know who's going to be the lead back that week. They want you to help them set their lineup. They want facts, okay? They want to know that if they listen to their hour, that they're going to have everything they need. And even me, I find myself switching to different channels. Sometimes podcasts are easy because you can fast forward and see the stuff you don't want. But... Seven minutes of going off the rails and making small talk will make a fantasy owner furious because all they're trying to do is squeeze in, gathering their data. Is Austin Hooper playing or is he not? You haven't mentioned it yet. It's killing me. I know you know before anybody else. Are you going to bring on a beat reporter? Like, so I know what they want. And I love the fact that it's not about me. I love knowing that I got to stay on the rails and I got to provide as much information as possible. That's the most important thing to anybody that runs a fantasy team.
1: Because like you said, they're so finicky and if you're not legitimate at this, you'd be dismissed. You couldn't survive more than half a decade in this if you didn't do the research. How much research do you put in in a typical week?
0: All day. So like an eight to 10 hour day, there's constantly, I'm either watching something or I'm listening to something. The only time I'm not gathering info is when I am spewing out info. So either I'm on a conference call, I'm on a zoom, I'm doing my podcast. But other than that, I give myself one day a week. uh, And I just started this again this year, which is really helpful. I take Tuesdays and I listen to music. And it's something I don't get to do enough. Normally I only listen to music at the gym. Now Tuesday's waiver wire in some leagues, some leagues mm-hmm. it's Wednesday. So I will gather my news with the late shows that I know will in two hours pack in everything I need and I'll go to the websites I have. But other than that, six days a week. I'm listening and I'm covering other sports now. I've learned UFC during quarantine because I thought Bite Island was so awesome. And uh, you, know, you, you can't not be listening. I mean, if you don't listen for two, three days, you're really behind. And also you get a better zip with things like pronunciation. You've covered LSU for years. You know how many people mispronounce Clyde Edwards Allaire
1: yes. <laughs> how do G-Lair, you
0: layer? And how do you find it? Easy. Now you go to, I used to just in the beginning, cause you know, the enunciation vibes are not uh, guides aren't always the best. You go and you find an interview where the kid introduced himself because how someone says their own name is guess what? Exactly how they want you to say it. And so a lot of times if I had a name that really was getting tricky on me and I was worried about it, I would record the sound bite from them saying it in my phone. And then I'll just listen to it on repeat for 30, 40 times. I'm good. I'm never going to mispronounce this person's name. But these things become important and, you know, learning everything from the names of the stadiums and the different cities to who has grass and who has turf. You know, these are all fun things to learn for me and you, because we constantly want to dig in deeper into our our, our craft, right? So listening, you could become a finicky, like I now say to people, I have officially become a sound snob because I'll text one of my friends while they're live on air and say, dude, turn off your G chat notifications, man. I hear them and it's driving me nuts. Okay. Like they don't realize that when you have earbuds in, it's so loud. Okay. We're you're, you're working from home. I know you're not, cause when you walk into a studio, you automatically remember to turn everything off. Mm-hmm. You're home. You're a little bit lax. You know, I'll hear somebody like in the other room running, doing dishes. I'm like, I hear things stop.
1: How far do you think you've come in presentation in, in learning to be, you know, still being yourself, but doing the things, the standard that you want to create as a podcaster, as a personality, all those things. You, like you said, you developed your interview style. How did you find that groove to make it your own?
0: I think the most important thing that I did from the get-go was my boss told me that I had to listen to every show that I did. And when I brought, later on brought that to other people, they were like, most of us don't listen to our shows. Like it's a suggestion. I thought it was part of my job that I had to. So I would normally listen to it right after when it went on demand, or I would listen to it the next day. That one thing changed me so much. And I still listen to my shows. So yeah, imagine that adds three hours onto each day if you did a three hour show, but you could fast forward through commercials, you know, but listening to myself helped me be better at pronouncing words, better at not overusing the same words. You'll find that you're like saying a hundred percent all the time, or you used awesome. Like I would actually have a guide and I would be like, okay, awesome. And I would just make a line, make a line you go like, oh, you said awesome 17 times in two hours. You probably should work on that. Like, so I think that really helped me. And then falling into people that I love, like I love listening to Sarah Spain. I think she is fantastic. I love her voice. I love how she shares information and stories. She's so in touch. Um, she's, she's just amazing. She's got a great laugh. She brings in the music that she loves. So she puts a lot of her own touches on her show. And she's it's, not to
1: be fucked with either.
0: I can only imagine. Like, I can you, only I mean, imagine.
1: Like it, Her Twitter feed, when people come for her, she's ready. I love it. I
0: love it. I love that She's sharp. She's witty. She's witty. So I just started really listening. Like, what do I love about her show? You know, what is it about it that makes it so unique? She's herself. She is herself, but yet she's damn good at what she does. She could be in the middle of an interview that's bouncing back between three people. And each time she brings the guest back, she reannounces him, but in a different way than she said it the first time. Maybe this time you get his Twitter address. Maybe last time you get where he went to college or some awards that he has. And she covers it all. And I'm like, it's just magic. And when you fall into that, then you find ways to improve yourself. And I think the wanting to constantly be better is one of the greatest things about what you and I do. It's not at a stale me. It's not like once you get good at doing taxes as an accountant, yes, you have to learn new tax codes, but you've become good at your craft. There's not a lot more. You and I can always grow. We can always make our show better. We can always add a new segment. We can always find a sounder that we like better than the last one. And that's the magic of this constantly evolving kind of radio world we're in,
1: and and especially in this in the sports side because you new analytics pop up, new style, yeah. all these things. So yeah, it's 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 like almost there's never like you said there's never a limit, there's never a pause, there's never a plateau. You are constantly, and you're not in, just in competition with yourself because you want to be the best person you can be but it's also providing something unique because you just don't want to be another voice adding to a wave of sound.
0: You don't. And, you all, and when I started to really ask people if they listen to their own show, for those who said yes to those who said no, I can now listen to their show and tell they don't listen to their show because you get lazy when you don't listen to your show. You're your own critic. You got to be criticizing yourself, man. If you're not, what good is it? You know, because sure, you'll have a job, but one day you may not. If you don't keep trying to get better, look, there's brilliant, brilliant people that walk into this industry every day. And I really think to stay on the pulse of it, listening to yourself is key and listening to other people that you enjoy.
1: Oh yeah. Those, you know, having those inspirations, having people, I think every musician, every artist, every person who's the best in their field, they have to be inspired by somebody because that's what you measure yourself is like, wow, that's greatness. and I wanna create something and I don't know what level it'll be on. I don't know what my greatness will be, but it'll be mine and I wanna do that. And and so that's what I look for out of the people that that I still to this day hold up, like a Howard Bryant, um, a Bamani Jones. There's so many broadcasters and writers who I just try to hold myself to their standard with my voice.
0: It's fun. It's fun to always care, right? And when you're doing something you love, you automatically care about it a bit more. So you're constantly trying to like fluff it up and make it a little nicer and make sure it's taken care of. And, you know, all the way down to how you take care of yourself, your voice. You know, like when I do a 6 a.m. radio show, uh, my friends laugh at me that I get three, but you want your voice to be awake. You also want your brain to be awake. Everyone's relying on you to be more awake than them at six and help them get ready to get in their car for their morning drive. So I find a lot of joy in that. And it's tricking your whole clock. Cause you got to go to bed at like eight, eight 30, try and make yourself fall asleep. You know, like it's a whole playing game, but it works for me. You know what I mean? And it, and it makes you feel like I'm putting in this effort because I want it to be a good show. I get to be the replacements for the morning man on Mad Dog Sports Radio when they take time off. And that's such an honor to me. That's a morning show that I'm a fan of that I listen to and you know at the beginning of this this year we've had there've been a lot of dark times. And you, that morning show that can make you laugh because in the morning is when we think about things that are devastating us the most. And your mind can just start. There were mornings that I couldn't wake up fast enough and go get my AirPods and turn them on. Cause I knew if I did that, I'd get up, I'd do my things, I'd get right. about my day, you know, but I knew if I didn't, I might be tempted to like doom scroll and look at the news. And that, that, that's what, what's that going to do for me? Is it really changing anything for me right now? You know what I mean? It's not, it's only going to make me feel worse. It's only going to magnify. I know what's up. I'm not in denial. I'm still reading the first thing in the morning making people laugh. So when I do that show, it's so special to me to like, bring it no matter what happened, bring it.
1: So now that you have this position and you see where you are from five years ago, what do you want to grow this into five years from now?
0: You know, I'd really like to continue to grow in this space. I love the bosses and the people that I work with and for at SiriusXM. So I really would like to be a part of the SiriusXM family as long as they'll allow, uh, you know, so I'm always working hard to be sure that they know I really value my time. And I really got to understand something. I started dancing at a young age with fake ID. This is the first job I ever had to do my own payroll, you know, where you go in and put your hours in. And my friends would joke with me, but I was like, payroll stressed me at first because I never had to do something like that. I was like, if I don't do it right. These are the little steps that have made me feel a little bit more whole in society because I've started to be able to walk the path that everybody else kind of walks. So uh, there's gratitude towards that. So I want to continue to build that Sirius is also behind my podcast. So it's just another leg in with me and them. I'm finishing my second book and I'd like to continue to write. And I'd like to put out some short books, some fun books, um, some like cool coffee table books. I've realized that my voice and my experience from being in the industry is still something that people want to pick my brain about. So I'm tapping back into that a bit and doing more speaking engagements. I got to speak last year at the Oxford Union uh, in England, which was an incredible experience. I want to really educate people who have children about what kind of content is accessible to their children on the internet so that they are aware, because most parents don't know what's landed on the internet since last time they scrolled down those sites. And then on the younger end, I want to really promote where where we, we can be as sexually free as we'd like, but practicing safe sex and if you're not in a relationship getting tested regularly and these things that if we made this more part of the general conversation we could have a healthier sex life and a healthier world when it came to sexual education there's only so much they can really teach in school you know without becoming religious or not religious or maybe offending someone the parents come in and say why did you say that you know you can't so, be rational about it. Yeah, no, but I'm a neutral party, yeah. and I started to get brought on more. Where people are like, "Hey, there's a younger demographic that really will listen to you. Do you want to speak about this?" And I said, "Oh, nothing would make me happier than promoting, you know, a, a great level of sexual health throughout the world, and also reminding my friends that have teenagers how easy it is to." land in the wrong place on the internet and to be looking at what their kids are looking at and to realize that kids are viewing adult content younger than ever because they're able to just click that little box that says they're 18. So I just want to make everybody aware there's the pros and the cons of everything, but there's nothing wrong with uh, going down the rabbit hole and see what your kid is doing on the internet.
1: You've been not only an outspoken advocate for sexual health, but you've also been an advocate for um, equality in the adult industry, um, discrimination in the industry, racism in the industry. And you've had, again, The basketball is your first love and you know players, you converse with them. This year we've seen athletes more than ever, um, well not more than ever, but I would say as much as we've seen in a very long time, lend their voices to social causes Have you had those conversations with your friends and and associates? And then how do you take those things and in this year kind of try to apply things that you've already learned and learn new things as well?
0: I think this conversation in general really embodies me um, because it's something that I'd been an advocate for since I was young and went out to California and realized that when I signed a contract with a company um, that I was not allowed to shoot interracial. And I could not believe this. But at the time, the reason was, which it's not much different now, is that the cable companies and the VOD companies at that time bought no interracial. So if you did it, they wouldn't be able to sell and make that extra money. And so when I learned about this, I was in my early 20s. I was like, what are you guys talking about? Like, I flew out here from Pennsylvania to have sex with strangers, and you're going to tell me that you're going to select them by the color of their skin? Like, seems a bit weird. I'm, you know, like, I'm so open minded. Like, this is really like, it really blew my mind. It's funny, funny little personal story. I took a little escape with my dude on Monday and Tuesday of this past week. We're out in California. And so it was Tuesday night. I'm like, you know, we're going through the adult selections. I always scope out the adult selections in hotels. And of course, you can imagine it's hard for me to watch porn because I know everybody. Right. So I watch all of Mark Dorcel's stuff, and I love Mark Dorcel's content. He shoots in France. It's all European women and men. Uh, the women are all natural, so you don't get the big fake boobs or the big fake butt. No fake hair, like all natural, barely any tattoos, and he keeps lingerie on and some clothes. Like I just love everything he does, and. There's not a lot of dialogue because it's shot in France, but then it's translated for every country, really? right? So the lips don't match up. So there's not a lot of talking. So, But as we were going through, and, and we know that's where I'm going to land, he and I always count that there could be 30 movies on the VOD choices in a hotel. And still to this day, only two of them are interracial. And that to me is something that really is a conversation that still needs to be had and it's up to the pool of the performers. It's not up to anybody else. It's just like what the athletes did, which was so remarkable this season to start to use their voices, which many of them already have, but it's such a big platform. And for Adam Silver to be so open-minded for the jerseys, for everything, this is going to have to be how it happens in adult for me when I left my contract, I went to every company and I said, I'm not going to shoot again until I can shoot interracial. And you know, nine out of 10 of the companies said to me, well, it's going to ruin your career. You can't do this. We won't shoot you doing this. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to find somebody. And I found a very small company that I had to act like I was a new girl, but I didn't care because I needed to get my point across. And then I really stayed on that path where the, the companies at that time that were doing wasn't VOD yet because there wasn't video on demand, but there was the, the, the lodge net and all the hotels, they still wanted my content. So at that point they realized, Oh, the only way we're going to get her content is if we buy her interracial. And when I started to produce my own movies, I was always 80% interracial and 20% non. And I really put that lean on And I wanted it to take off more. I had so many girls afterwards come to me and say, I want to do it too. But my agent told me it would ruin my career. I'm like, why don't you just look at me? It didn't ruin anything for me. Like, why are you just not looking at the pace car? Why are you listening to a dude that has no idea? He's not out on the road. And also, why are you not listening to your own sexual desires? If this is something you desire, then you need to be acting it out on camera because it's going to come off beautifully. And it's so important that you're naturally drawn to it and you want to do what you're doing on camera, everything, whatever type of a scene it was. So I'm still trying to really get that message across. And when it comes to, in my inner circle, I just tell my friends, you know, are you meeting people equally? Are you hiring equally? Are you mentoring equally? Are you offering opportunities equally? Um, Put the effort towards it. Don't expect it to come to you and, and don't hire out of the ordinary for a purpose, but expand your network and ask yourself why your circle isn't more diverse is it where you live? Like one of the reasons I wanted to move back to New York city is it's just so incredibly diverse and it's awesome to be, you know, I lived in orange County for my first 15 years in California, which is not diverse. diverse. (laughs) Now, mind you, it's beautiful, but I I I can't live that way. It makes me very uncomfortable. I feel very guilty by association. It's one of the things that was very hard for me in my hometown was how segregated we lived. You know, Southside, Easton, there was no white people living there, and and where I lived on the other side of town, there's no black people living there. And I was like, this is nuts. Like, why are we we're all going to school together? Like, why can't you know? Those were the things that always. Kind of pushed me and pushed me because I love to be around diversity. I love culture. I love everything about trying different types of, of food and experiences and understanding music. I mean, for so many people who listen to all kinds of music, they don't realize the story of the meanings behind that music. For me, I think it was kind of too about a struggle. You know, I could relate more to others that grew up with a struggle than many people could because they didn't grow up with any struggle. I grew up with a struggle. So it wasn't about color for me, but it's about struggle. And it was about knowing that you're probably not going to college. it was about knowing that you're not having the same opportunities that maybe this family did, that both their parents are still together, that live in a nice house in a nice suburban neighborhood. That's not your story. If it's not your story, then you can start to relate to the bigger picture. And I'm really glad that I had struggles growing up as a child. I'm glad that everything wasn't handed to me. I'm glad that I'm not entitled uh, because those struggles made me identify with all different levels of people without judging anybody or without assuming I know the story. You don't know the story. You don't know what anybody is dealing with today. And getting to be a neutral player in that, in that role of life has always brought me so much joy and it's always brought me so many incredible friends from all different walks of life when it comes to race, religion, age. You know, I have friends, I grew up, my best friend was uh, 60 years older than me and she lived to be almost 102 years old. Um, and she was my best friend. And so she was a very open-minded woman and, and taught me a lot about life and she saw everyone as equal. So I think the talent themselves have to really stand up. I think that companies need to change how they're labeling product. Um, I understand you. Know, I brought this to a ton of companies during when when we were really having great, solid conversations during the BLM marches and everything. And I'm like, you got to get rid of categories. So like, well, you know, how are people going to search it on the internet? I'm like, let them scroll. But like, why are you pigeonholing it into this? And I can remember. When I first started releasing a ton of my own movies and I was going on adult bookstore signings and they would have all of my stuff up on this nice display, like my Fleshlight and my stuff I did for Hustler, but none of like my 80% interracial stuff. And I'm like, where's my movies? They're like, oh, well, that's like over there. We have this category. I'm like, no, no, no. You organize your stuff by the stars. You you let the star have a whole section of Lisa Ann and let it be the whole variety. You know you have a whole section of it at that time like Riley Reed or Sophie and but it, it's a very old school mentality that industry and you know it starts with the brick and mortar stores of realizing from me spending fifteen years on the road arguing with every store manager and saying what are you doing and why are you making a customer walk to a specific section. You're you're making it harder on everybody. Like, no, like I would say to them, that's racist. And they're like, well, no, it's not. It's a category. I'm like, well, why isn't it at the front of the store? If you're if it's not racist, then why is your interracial not at the front of the store? The whole thing of it at the front. Well, it's always been in the back. Why? Because you're racist. Like this was an ongoing and many store owners came to me after the fact and said, we loved it. It helped our point of sale because we were putting scenes out. These guys never saw their favorite star. And we realized that guys want to buy their star. They don't really care as much about The category is we thought like, yeah, you're hung up in your own shit. And so when I say it's about the talent, it's about talent going into stores and having these conversations. It's about carrying the torch and continuing to want to ask why. Why do you do it that way? Does it work for you or does it work for other people? Why don't you rearrange everything and see how it goes? So I took that. I hope other members of talent do that. And I also only work with people that taught, that treated everybody equally. Uh, My male talent had to be treated just as well as the women I brought on set. And there were very few photographers and producers and directors that did that. And so the male talent that I worked with a lot always knew that when they were going to be on set with me, that they were going to be catered to on a level that they really didn't get anywhere else. And it was really not about catering. It was just about equality.
1: Is that why directing, producing, and having a talent agency at one point was so important to you to keep doing that institutional change?
0: Yeah. I mean, my agency especially, because I sat down with every single girl and said, what do you love in your personal life? Okay, well, when you go on set, the first guy says to you, you can't do that. It's going to hurt your career. You're not going to listen to him, right? Like, you're going to understand that you're doing you, and that's what's going to create you as – you know your own very unique person. Um, also about labeling of scenes. Like you know, when I had my talent agency, I would be like, "You got to give me the title of this movie because I'm not going to book my guys if it's going to be racist and they're not going to show up and they're allowed to leave your set." So I don't want to cost anybody money. But my talent knows that if any inappropriate words are in a script or asked to be said, that they're supposed to walk off. Like I would rather pay somebody a kill fee for their day then have them be subjected to something that's going to be in history forever on the internet. And they accepted it because they needed the money. And that's what they would do years ago is they would put talent in these scenarios where they knew they needed that same day pay. And they're going to make them say and be in something degrading, right? Just something that they should never accept. And I would say like, that's embedded in the internet. No, you say, no, you do not allow that. You do not... But a lot of times the producers will say, we don't know what we're going to call it yet. And so we're going to shoot the movie first, then we're going to label it. But it's on the, the, it's on the stores and everything else because the stores shouldn't have bought something that had a nasty title. Mm. They just shouldn't have. Everyone has to do their role. And that's the big thing with what we, we learned 2020 is if you didn't take time to listen, that's on you. Because there were enough people having beautiful conversations that one of them, you could stop and listen and try to understand. If you've never struggled, you don't have to struggle to understand, but you have to stop, clear your mind of all the, the pre-existing thoughts that you have and say, it really is our responsibility every day as we walk through life to just treat people equally. How can I do that better? Whether it's where you live, whether it's, you know, where you work, no matter where it is, be mindful and and be present and be thinking about why this is not just a conversation, why this is not just a movement. This is America 2020. Okay. Like we all have to do better and it never ends. There's never a level, just like we talked about earlier with doing better shows, how you listening to our shows and all of those things. You you can't stop. You have to keep doing it. You have to keep reminding everybody to do it, to be kinder, to be more open-minded, to be less aggressive. Um, and it's just this year reminded us how many people are not on that thinking level at all yet. It's just shocking. It's just shocking because you and I don't live in that mindset. So when we realize, wow, you're still back there? Like what? It's
1: kind of like, I, you know, I, it's funny because in interviewing you it's like there's so many people who are your fans who will not say they're your fans in public right you know, to, pr- to protect their image sure. um, and that's the same with closet racism is there's so many True. people who in public present the face of well I don't do anything I'm not that but then when they get home that acquiescence, that silence is the same thing. You were allowing it to happen. And, and and those parallels between the adult industry and what you were fighting on that side, it's the same thing with the athletes. It's, it's you At some point, you have to say no. At some point, you have to say, the system isn't working for us and we have to fix it. And you have to you set what your price is going to be whatever that is, whether it's internally, whether it's financially, and you have to make sure that you're not going to live for less than what your cost is. And I think that that's frightening for a lot of owners and it's frightening for a lot of Americans who do not feel comfortable in people making them uncomfortable.
0: And, you know, you said something interesting right there. You said about how they act at home. Um, I will admit to you that I grew up with a racist father and I hated him for it. And it was a divide for us because I would hear him say things that as a young girl, I knew were just so inappropriate and disgusting. And I look back now and he and I have no relationship. We have nothing in common. Um, I've rekindled with him two, two or three years out of I'm 49. I had him in my life till I was 16. And then maybe two or three years here or there. But when I would go back to just be like, he's my dad, I should try. It was even harder because I'm even madder because I cannot believe. And it made me realize like here I was with 30 some first cousins who were all exposed to the same things at home. And none of them fought back with their parents about it. And I would be like, how can you not tell them you're guilty by association, but not, but so." This year, I accepted that a lot of kids are raised in a way and they believe their parents. See, I never thought my dad was a good person. So it wasn't hard for me to not believe the shit that was coming out of his mouth. But for some people who do think their parents are good people and maybe provide them a great life in every other way, they say some really off putting stuff. And these kids think, Well, that's what my parents say. So it must be okay for me to go to school and say that same thing to somebody else. And so even if you think it's okay to say it at home, you should know better. And you as a child, young people do not be afraid to make your parents better and say to them, like, don't ever say that in front of me again. Don't ever say that in the house. And as a matter of fact, don't even ever say that out loud again. I'm going to tell you why, you know, I, I, we are accepting older people being a certain way because of their generation. Like Listen, I, my grandmother couldn't vote. You know what I mean? Like there was a day where women had no rights, right? Once we evolved, we got past that. We didn't go back. Don't go back. So I grew up with that. My mom though on the other hand was so open-minded, so I mean, I can remember my mom introduced me to two friends of her from work and after they left explaining that they were a gay couple and this was early 80s and I was it, it was so normal to me, right? So with the way she discussed it with us and talked with us and explained that, you know, people love who they love. It was completely normal. My dad could have never had that an, a, a conversation nor could he have ever even worked with them successfully or had them at his home. So I was very lucky to have both, you know, two very different trains of thought, but I was also lucky that in my own mind, I knew that what was coming out of his mouth was shit and I knew I hated it. And I knew that I wouldn't be around it for the rest of my life.
1: And that's, we all have to do that. We have to not be silent in the workplace. We have to not be silent against, with people who we call our friends Yeah. and say that. Cause we, we all, uh, we have all done it at different times, either out of just discomfort and thinking, oh, is this the time or place? But we have to shut those things down immediately. We just
0: have to. You don't um, need those kinds of friends. No. Just don't. But I think this year really hit me of like, man, we got it, we got to do better. I still think it's very important to educate on history in school. Like, you know, I, I, I think some of these statues maybe should stay because it's a reminder, but we need to be educated properly. And I think we also need to be educated on how to interact with others and understanding that it is beautiful to be around different cultures and to learn and to understand and to share. Um, not one of us is better. Not even if you have more money than other, you're not better. Because you live in a better house, you're not better.
1: We're all. all these things are quirks same. of fate. Like I don't control where I was born. If a kid no. was born in the middle of Appalachia, that that's not their. You know, no. the fact that they grew up grow up poor, they didn't choose that. Didn't it, choose it, that.
0: We, Look, LeBron didn't choose to grow up the way that he did. But you know what he did with that? He used it as mojo to create a new life for himself and to make his whole family's life better than what he grew up with. Should, the
1: and the, the thing is, we got to create those opportunities, like you said, for other people yeah. who are not, everybody's not going to be LeBron James. There's, there's only one LeBron James for a reason, or else he wouldn't be LeBron James. Right. But it's, it's those things that he's done in creating educational opportunities and things, ah, like building a school and so doing amazing. that type of stuff. Those are the things that are going to live on far beyond his basketball career. You know, oh, I believe yeah. his
0: legacy after basketball is going to be even bigger than his legacy in basketball. I and really that's
1: do. What I would want. You know, that's what you want out of your life. You, when you, like you said, the impact that you leave on the world should be bigger than your work. Of it's course. the relationships you built. It's the things that, that you did. And when nobody was looking, when nobody said, hey, here comes Lisa Ann, those are the things you want to be measured on at the end of it. And that's
0: all that really matters. And I think this has been a you know, this year, I'm sure you agree. When, when we lost Kobe, I thought that was going to be the worst news we got in the next 10 years. I mean, like to me, that was like, can anything get worse? And it was devastating. I've never seen the world so sad over the loss of, of, of him and his daughter. I mean, it was just so devastating. And then we get in, then we get into COVID right. And, 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 and everybody starts getting impatient and everybody starts getting worried financially. And then things just got nasty and how did we forget how empathetic we all were for a man that most of us have never met and his daughter that none of us have met. Um, but yet for the rest of the world, we have no empathy. It's just, we got to do better. And it's up to all of us every day to go out and be kinder and to educate people and also stop people from saying things they shouldn't say.
1: Well, let's go back to, to end on a, some high notes because I enjoy, first of all, I, I I really enjoyed that exchange because I think I learned a lot about you in that. And um, just, it was, it was a great back and forth. And, and but I do want to get back to the sports cause that's what folks listed for. Yeah. Um, since you do follow so well, you we have to break down our local team, the New Orleans saints. Um, Alva Kamara has to be one of your favorite fantasy performers at this point this year.
0: Yeah, but you know what? He jinxed us before the season because, okay, so here we were. You know what I'm talking about. Here we were. We were all waiting to have drafts. We want to do them as last minute as possible because we had one deadline where players were able to opt out. Then we had, you know, you want to like – there were nights I was doing two drafts, two different computers, back-to-back because we clammed them all in. So Alvin Kamara is like holding out rumors, camp, not going, going. Then it diverts to he had to get a shot in his back. And now I'm like, oh, oy vey. There's, no, there's two things, right? So if I get to that number four spot where Kamara's there and Michael Thomas is there, what do I do? So in some of the leagues, I went Michael Thomas, which is crushing my soul because if you look at the top four running backs off the board, Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara. What Alvin Kamara is the only one worth anything right now. Zeke is not injured with Christian McCaffrey – and uh, take Zeke one, Barkley. but Zeke is pretty much worthless right now. I'm so sorry. I don't know what the Butterfingers are all about, where his focus is. I don't know what it is as a Cowboys fan. It's devastating. But so get Michael Thomas. Now, injuries, I never, I'm never, i never upset. When a player gets injured, it's it's an injury. It just happens. But then you get some locker room scenario, which I never saw coming with Michael Thomas. Like Then I'm frightful. I'm like, okay, all I need is one good game. Maybe I sell high. He gets back from his ankle injury. No, he's not coming back. He's suspended a game. What bothers me about that is the business of it. When a player gets suspended a game, it becomes nearly impossible for him to reach his incentives to get his full paycheck. So, if you think about how these players play, you think about how we spit out the numbers of a contract. Oh, the contract is worth thirty million. Okay, the contract might only be worth five. Mm-hmm. Only one is guaranteed five is, is is a slippery slope the 30 he's got to reach all of these these landmarks these milestones he's got to reach all of these incentives you look at this new antonio brown contract he's not getting paid diddly squat he's got to really work his butt off to make some money so what bothered me then is oh no you're gonna have michael thomas sitting now he's gonna be bitter is he gonna to want to come back at all what's the point does he want to move like you know, I some of the wheels he's start good he's good. Meanwhile, Alvin is just killing it, as he always does. The back shot that I overthought, the him holding out that I overstressed on. Oh, what a waste of time that was. But I did back up Emmanuel Sanders in quite a few of the leagues because I was handcuffing wide receivers and running backs in case of any COVID situations. Well, doesn't it just so happen when I have Michael Thomas out and I got Emmanuel Sanders out, he lands on the COVID list. So this was a year that I thought Drew Brees is going to the Super Bowl. He's going to ride off into the sunset, win or lose, and move on with his life, right? He can start his broadcasting career. There's tons of opportunity out there for this man. And why beat on your body for more years than you really have to? And now there seems like there's just some really off chemistry situations. I understand that we're going to see some teams just like we did in the bubble. Some teams really excelled in the bubble. Some teams fell apart. What we're seeing right now at week eight is what teams really are compromised because they didn't have the rookie mini camp and the regular camp, the buildup, that preparation, that routine. I, I It makes me sad to hear people say that Drew Brees is done because he's not done. He can throw a football as long as he wants to. But it's a matter of how much time did he get to work with Emmanuel Sanders? How much reconnecting bonding time did he get with Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas? You know, all of these factors play a huge, huge role. You still got... Jared Cook will get in there once in a while and do his thing, right? And the thing, Saints' right? defense has been hot garbage. Uh, but let's also remember that the majority of players that opted out due to COVID were the larger players, which was either the O-line or the defense. Mm-hmm. And it was smart that they did that because they looked at themselves as a little bit greater of a risk, okay. right? health-wise, weight-wise, maybe you have asthma, maybe you have something. So we knew a lot of teams were going to have some holes because of that opt-out situation, the list of those defenders and those linemen that decided not to play. But it's a bummer for Drew because now I don't feel this season is going to play out the way I did. I think it was the most exciting first game to see Drew Brees and Tom Brady playing against each other, right? I was like, oh, so exciting. But it's it's a bummer for, you know – the Saints to just not have as good of a run, and now there is conversation that Michael Thomas wants to leave, and I, I, I don't he's know. Not we don't,
1: he's not going. They you love, don't think. I, I, I just had a um, pod yesterday with one of my insiders, and the the thing is, they say Mike is you know Mike is high strung, he's very competitive, but. They love him. It, so what it's was the, the issue in the locker room? That, Can
0: you give me a little backstory on that?
1: Yeah, I, what I was told was that he got into it with a trainer over the taping of his ankle. Like, that was okay. the first thing. And okay. and we understood that, we, you know, as, as media people said, look, this is a multi-million dollar athlete. Sure. His ankle is his thing. You know, his yeah. legs, that's how he makes his money. Right. So if, you, if he feels like you've missed- So
0: did the doctor treat him like he was being a diva and Michael Thomas did not like that?
1: So they, well, they just, apparently they've had, you know, a contentious relationship before. And Get it's just of one of those things. So they Get are- Get rid of them. The, it's not the first time the Saints have fired their medical personnel. Okay. So that was the thing. And in there, from what we understood is that there's a joke that goes in the locker room sometimes when Mike does act up, and and these are football players. Yeah, their adrenaline, their aggressiveness. You tell them to be aggressive. You tell them to, like when you individually incentivize people, which is the which I think is is the antithetical to team sports.
0: I agree, with you. I, agree with you. I completely agree with you. Gonna to say me. if
1: I don't get this many yards, but I helped us win. I right. did my job. I didn't get right. the, you didn't call enough plays for me to get a thousand yards, but well, every time team. I did my job. Yeah. So I think that when you're in that situation, yeah, it leads to being high strung. And I think what happened is Mike got an argument and the can't stand Mike is that guy when he loses his temper, when he's acting up. But I would imagine there's a can't stand Drew at times. There's a can't stand Sean Payton at times. You know, there's a can't stand. I mean, it's, it's a locker room.
0: It's a locker room, and when you went back again, I'm going to bring up the last dance because I loved Phil Jackson's approach to coaching a team. He saw them as individuals, and he knew. They're like, oh, Dennis Rodman, you need to go to Vegas for a couple of days. That's what you need right now before this big round. Okay, fine, we'll let you go. You have to kind of cater to the entertainers in these guys. They don't fit in a box, and you have to let them be who they are because part of that is your buildup to get you hyped to go out on the field, right? If you look at a boxer or a UFC fighter, all the stuff they go through before they go out, nobody's going to tell them you can't do any of those things because that's how they're putting on their Superman suit, you know? That's how they're getting into the groove. But, yeah, it's been tough being a Michael Thomas owner, not going to lie. And it's been tough knowing, like, next year, I am not listening to one bit of weird news about a player that I truly believe in about a shot because I knew better than that. But at the same time, like, everyone is, like, just coming up with their own idea. Well, you know, if you get that cortisone shot in your back, it only lasts like so long. And then he's going to be in pain again. I'm like, this guy knows more than me. Is he right? Like, I should have just been like, don't stop. Sometimes you gather too much information and then you overanalyze all of that information. And I would have been better off drafting Alvin Kamara.
1: Sometimes you just got to go with your gut. I know sometimes, um, On the basketball side, let me get your impressions of what you saw in the bubble. Did you think that that worked as an event? Um, And then the Lakers winning the title, of course, what that means for LeBron. And lastly, for our locals, what do you think uh, of Zion Williamson?
0: Wow, Zion. Well, let's let's go with the bubble first. I thought the bubble was the greatest thing that came out of 2020. From the NBA bubble life Twitter that would just kind of gather everything every day to getting to know players more because you got to see their personality. I mean, they were at like a summer camp for like, you know, almost a hundred days if you made it to the end, to the testing, to everything. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was incredibly entertaining. I thought the way the arena looked it looked real small ball and i really liked that and i knew that a lot of younger players would really excel because you know the the talent like lebron that's used to walking out on the court and eh, the whole room just roars at you well, you get used to being that's your juice right but a young kid that hasn't really played in a big market yet feels real comfortable in a smaller setting right maybe the fans are distracting or maybe it puts too much pressure on them so I loved watching how who really who really excelled in that situation. I loved what the Miami Heat put together. I love what you saw from that team. There's a bunch of teammates that get along with each other. That we're going to make the best of this situation. From Jimmy Butler selling coffee out of his room, to on the other side the winners, the Lakers. You know, Kuzma was doing an interview. And had a couple other players in with him, and they were talking about the different rooms, right? And so they said that, you know, Anthony Davis had like the technology room where he had like multiple screenshots set up so that he could play video games and they could watch a bunch of things at one time. But LeBron's room was like immaculate with really expensive candles and always smelled really good. Like you just got this like insight on, it was a great time passer. I mean, at one time we could have been watching basketball for eight, 10 hours a day, every day. You know, at hockey at the same time, I thought it was spectacular. I thought it was a great pacifier for the US. I thought we needed that. And I also, what I liked about it was I think the bubble kept people reminded that these guys are getting tested every day and they're not leaving the bubble, you know, whereas I think right now with baseball and NFL, People are getting a little bit lax because like, oh, these guys are playing and yeah, they're getting tested, but they're still going about their life. They're still going out. We're still seeing stuff with them going out. We're still doing things. It's making people more lax. I am testing myself right now once a week for COVID because in New York, you can test for free. They send you the kit. You send it, take it, you send it back. And the reason I'm doing it is because in the city, you're in more of a shared space. There's more of a chance of people touching an elevator or whatever, because why wouldn't I want to know But even though I'm testing, I'm still wearing a mask everywhere I go to be considerate of others and to protect myself. So I kind of feel like there's a false hope. There was no false hope with the bubble. These players were isolated. You know, We knew what happened when Lou Williams went out for some wings, right? It was a big deal and it was handled properly, right? So I love what they did to remind us that we're in a very unique situation. Now, if they ever do the bubble again, it needs to be a reality show okay we <laughs> need to see more okay you don't have to get into the guys rooms because that's too personal but like just give us the hallway interaction the dining halls where you had to run into you know another team that dropped you know 100 points on you and you lost by 25 Doesn't get high schoolish and you gotta sit like in the same dining hall like i want to see that but i thought it was spectacular a uh, zion needs routine so him not having a normal routine him working out during the season, then having this screeching halt. I mean, some of the players have gyms at their home. Some of them don't, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. The younger guys are used to going to a facility. They've got people there working out with them. Like not everybody has a gym at home. So I think there was an interruption. And I think with Zion, he's going to be the type of player for his entire career that has to focus on conditioning more than maybe some other players do. We've seen this before with really big guys, knees, hips, ankles. But now we have the technology between knowing about cryotherapy chambers, which is something I love, you know, it's all the different things that you could add in to be sure that you're stretching properly and doing all this, but he's going to take that type of care and he's going to have to be a player that is routine working out all the time. The The couple of injuries that he had, I mean, remember in January when he was playing his first game and like, you know, we were all like, Oh my gosh, we finally get to see him. I had drafted him on fantasy team and I was giving him a couple of weeks to get his sea legs under him before I started playing him. But I think he's got an incredible amount of talent as long as he learns how to really hone it in. Right. And there's a lot of noise when you're a player as well known as Zion, a lot of pressure. I remember when that shoe blew out, um, during that Duke game, he was playing in front of Obama I mean, that's a lot of pressure. You know what I mean? You know,
1: at 18 years be, old.
0: At 18 years old, you know, that's a lot of pressure. So I think that can amplify everything. Cause you have broadcasters talking about your weight, you know, your style of play. Like, let this kid grow into this. I know he's a star. We all know he's a star, but let's develop him with patience. And let's let him have some fun. Let's stop forcing him to be the A1 from day one and let him grow into, he just has to adjust to the NBA, which is a very different life, right? So I'm looking forward to watching his career. And I hope that he's got a team around him that really expresses that level of cadence that he's going to have to have in his routine, his diet, how he lives, how he works. And Also, you know, he's going to become very isolated because he can't go anywhere. He stands out everywhere he goes. So he can't live an external life with any normalcy without being, have people in his face wanting a photo. Man, that shit gets old. This shit gets
1: old. The great thing for him is that in New Orleans, people really don't do that. New Orleans is one of those rare cities that a lot of celebrities come here and can be anonymous because we just... It's New Orleans, you know what I mean? Like seeing unusual things is not yeah. unusual. Right. So I, I mean, you just kind of grew up in a place where it's just like, I mean, I've seen so many people and we film, you know, the film industry became really big and I did some sure, background. Sure, I remember, yeah. Like that and and I just see people and you just go, oh, okay, well, there goes such and such. Okay, well, yeah. And, and I think that for him being a kid from South Carolina, I always say New Orleans is the, is the world's biggest small town. Because it's, it's a city that people come from from all over the world, but sure. it's very much, for, the, for better and for worse, mm-hmm. it behaves like a small town. And so I think for a kid from the South who, you know, could have ended up in New York or something like that, I think it would have been a far bigger culture shock for him in that place than to come into this place where everybody wants to embrace and just be like, we love you and not ask him to, to lift the whole, you know, like, you know, in sure. New York, and I've been a Knicks fan for
0: 40 years. Listen, nobody wants to play for the Knicks. No and, one. No. And also it's, it's the press. It's the media. It's the accessibility they would have to him if he lived in New York for doing interviews and stuff. He's in a much better bubble. But when you look at another player that is a great example, it's Anthony Davis. I mean, Anthony Davis, we all knew he was going to be a star out of Kentucky. There was no doubt about it, right? But you know what's made Anthony Davis a star right We're now? Wrong. Yes being surrounded by the right mentors. And that's what Zion needs as well is finding that. And he'll find it, but it takes a team. And I love one of my favorite things about LeBron is – just how much he makes everybody around him better, you know? And, you know, he still has that wild card. Like, he still supports J.R. Smith that just keeps to keep collecting rings off of him and doesn't contribute to shit. But for some reason, uh, he brings him out. He brings Everybody's got that guy. We all have that person in our
1: entourage. Know, <laughs> that
0: guy, because he gets along with him. He must respect him. Hey, he must listen to LeBron when LeBron suggests something. But we all think he should be better because LeBron stamps you. You know what I mean? Like, he says you're okay. But um, it's going to take that for Zion. It's been great to see Anthony Davis really come into it. But look how many years it took. And look how many moves it took for Anthony Davis. It's not always the perfect fit. Look at Jimmy Butler. Like This is where he belongs. I am so glad he wasn't still with the Sixers and has to deal with all that drama and and not being able to be himself. Uh, Now he's himself. And look, gets all the way to the finals.
1: Lastly, yeah, you mentioned it that the Cowboys... Are your favorite team? That's the one thing I think your dad gave you yeah. that you keep. <laughs> yeah. We're going on 30 years now for the Cowboys. I know. What's, what, do you see any sun on the horizon?
0: You know, I think it's complicated when owners are too hands on, like a micromanaging situation from the Jones family, I don't think is helping the leadership of this team. And, you know, I think this is where you bring in the experts. I mean, for me right now, I'd be bringing in sports psychologists. It's something I talk to people about a lot because a lot of like even the young tennis player who just won a big match, she travels with her own, um, you know, individual sport players will often rely on fighters. If they lose their Mm -hmm. first fight, they go to a sports psychologist. You got to get to the psychology of what isn't making everyone flourish right now because we have the talent. Yes, our defense sucks. And yes, we're missing pieces in our line. Four out of five is not there, but we should have drafted next man up. Why are we not making better decisions in leadership to be prepared for the injuries that do happen? This is an unusual year with COVID, yes. But why are we not why do we not have a better situation waiting and why are we not bringing them up and, and helping them get better because we're trying to cut corners in other situations. Right. So not playing Dak. I mean, when, when Dak got injured, my first thought was him being franchise tagged. It was my first devastating thought it was like, and you know what, Jerry that was just not a nice move. Uh, you pay the guy, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I understand it was over a year's, you know, Dak wanted four, they wanted five. Uh, There were little things, right? Now I'm sure Dak's going to regret, should I have done that, right? You never know. We all make one decision that changes a sliding door theory. But I just think the Joneses need to step back. And I think the teams that we've seen do really well, they show the owner here and there once in a while in the box, but he or she doesn't go down on the field and doesn't talk all the time with the players. I mean, look, Jerry made himself look like a fool when Zeke held out And then he did that interview, that spot he does every week in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And he said, Ziku, and then him and Zeke get together. And then he makes Ziku t-shirts. Like really get to play this dumb game, be a good businessman and hire people that are smarter than you because it's not working the way it's going right now. We have a ton of talent, Look how much money Dallas paid Amari Cooper, you know, we have a ton of talent, but we're just not doing the right thing with that talent.
1: Yeah, and that's always what it comes down to—is putting people in the best position to do what they do the best. And yep. and I think you're absolutely right when it comes to ownership. Um, it doesn't matter how much talent you have if you have bad management, you, you'll you'll sink anything. And the two most successful coaches under J, uh, Jerry Jones have been two coaches who didn't really care to listen to him: and Bill Parcells and Jimmy Johnson. And Jimmy Johnson goes back to your point you made like 20 minutes ago when you talked about each player being treated individually. He didn't treat Troy Aikman the same way he treated Michael Irvin the same way he treated uh, Emmitt Smith, the same way he treated uh, Charles Haley. You can't treat those people the same. They are very no. different. And very Jimmy's different. goal was you're not going to mess this up and you're going to be there on Sunday. And those two things happened for the, the, the years that he was there.
0: Yeah, it's it's not been easy being a Cowboys fan uh, over the past. Uh, I will say we had a good run, a good run in the early '90s. Yeah, I was (laughs) like,
1: I've 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 had to live with you know being born in Detroit. I'm still a Lions fan, and I I, so I suffer with them. This is my photo, autographed picture of Barry Sanders.
0: Awesome, awesome.
1: I suffer with them, and we have never been good. The only playoff win we have. In the last 50 years, is over the Cowboys before they went on the Super Bowl run. Right. So, uh, and then I, the year we moved to New Orleans was the year the Saints went 1 in 15. So that one Super Bowl is what I have in my life. The Knicks have never won a championship. So I'll never see that. Um, look,
0: the Knicks are falling apart too. It's over ownership. Yep. It is not about anything other. And you don't want to go work for a bad boss. When your owner is fighting with Spike Lee in the arena about how he entered. Oh my golly gee willikers. It's just the worst, right? Uh, Well, that was my uh, notification that my groceries were just delivered. Um, So I order Whole Foods and they get delivered and then I can just bring them in. So that's a good sign things are moving well because I timed this out today knowing you and I would be wrapping up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And and I had a blast. um, So... With you and I hope we get to talk down the road. I think this was, I had a great time and just getting somebody having convers- and having this conversation.
0: We will stay connected. Uh, we will definitely stay connected for sure. And everybody can hear me on Fantasy Sports Radio. You can find out everything I'm doing on my timeline, which is The Real Lisa Ann Twitter and Instagram. And also don't forget to enjoy my podcast. I look forward to seeing you again, following your career, reading all the stuff you do. And uh, maybe I'll patch in and listen to you cover a high school football game.
1: Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. That is the one and only Lisa Ann. And we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Heart and Pain.